0: Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions.
1: Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's three tips for faculty development. You're here with Janice Palaganis.
0: And Peter Kahn.
1: Uh, I would love to introduce our guest podcaster today because she has just been a source of mentorship for me in terms of how to live in this world of academia. Because it is pretty new for me. And how to best navigate with our students who are faculty, so essentially the faculty development part. And so I'd love to introduce Ann Thompson. Ann, thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's a real pleasure to be here, Janice and Peter. Thank you so much.
1: Anne is a physical therapist by discipline. She was the chair and associate professor emerita for rehab sciences at Georgia Southern University. And you were also interim dean of uh, health professions and university, vice president for academic affairs.
2: That's all before I came to MGH. uh, At my former institution where I was for 26 years, I had the pleasure and honor of serving in a variety of administrative roles, in addition to being a faculty member. And it was invaluable because I was able to serve directly with a wonderful president. I called it my two-year leadership residency, as she mentored me in the ways of academe and learned how to deal with diverse faculty issues. Uh, You haven't haven't lived until you've wrestled with the history and philosophy departments. They, (laughs) They come from a very different world than health professions we had a college of science and technology liberal arts education and health and that was wonderful and then a, at a couple of different times i also stepped into the dean's role so it was a it was a great experience i wouldn't trade a minute of it even though it contributed quite a bit to the gray hair you see before you now
1: <laughs> well you're saying it's it was invaluable it is invaluable for all of us in the health professions education program, because you've just been really wonderful giving us tips in terms of navigating through, you know, program development and some of the issues that we don't typically come across. So it's been wonderful working with you, Ann.
2: Oh, with y'all as well. I think that we've got this amazing team and it's fun. I have Rita's discovered the joy of teaching, but with the new added benefit of working in an interprofessional team of amazing professors. And I kind of backed into it. My friend, Lynn Ford, called me one summer day and said, hey, we need somebody to teach an assessment course. Would you like to do a little something? And I said, sure, that sounds like fun. And the next thing I, I know uh, Roger kept saying, you want to do a little something else? And pretty soon we had our master's program and brand new faculty and a PhD program and a teaching and learning certificate for St. George's University Medical School. So it's been an amazing new chapter and it's just been a pleasure.
0: So, Anne, you're reminding me of some comments I make to new faculty around this time of year as they're embarking on their careers, that sometimes the through line makes sense only in retrospect, that at the time it just seems like an opportunity, maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't. And when it comes time to reflect, that's when you can see all the connections. I wonder if you could contrast the view when you were starting out your career and and what path you thought you'd take versus the one you look at now when you reflect back.
2: Oh Peter that's 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 a, that's a wonderful question like so many in health professions education I had been a full-time clinician and uh, had spent my my time in uh, a variety of healthcare environments and was actually directing a, a rehab facility when the opportunity to enter teaching arose as if they were starting a physical therapy program at, at our university and from there it became clear that I needed to get a, a doctoral degree as well and um, Georgia Southern University was starting its very first doctorate of education and its inaugural cohort in higher education leadership. And I thought, this sounds great. This will, this will really help me quite a bit. So as I look back on leadership philosophies and you ask the question, I think it's, it is interesting because some people go forward in their lives with a five year plan or a 10 year plan. I'd like to say I attended the Joan of Arc School of Leadership, where somebody says, we have a need. Do you mind stepping in? And and it's been wonderful. As I say, I wouldn't trade anything. The one thing I will say is that I think the departments that mentor their young faculty should always include the fact that you need to become fully promoted through the rank of full professor. If you are really interested in taking an administrative path, because there are the opportunity to do the level of research that you need to do to attain full, full professor, Is harder to attain if you go into administration early. And I did. I don't regret it in retrospect for a a variety of reasons. I enjoyed it. It was exciting. The opportunity would not have arisen otherwise unless I decided to move. And one of the things I learned in my leadership journey is that leadership is a lot like driving a car. Do you like an SUV? Do you want a sport car? Do you want a nice, comfortable BMW? What size do you want? And I am most comfortable in the middle leadership ranks. I really enjoyed taking the department chair's job. And that's the one that I held for five years. And I think it's the one that I enjoyed the most. The others were invaluable and I would do them again, but I did not seek them further. And I think that that's one of the pieces of advice I would give people is be aware of the different ways your career can develop. But don't be afraid to step out of the box. Just remember that everything has a choice point. And if you really want to ascend in the highest levels of academe and the mobility for that, you'll probably have to grow up and leave home and go to another institution. So go ahead and become fully promoted first. Go for the rank of full professor. It's a nice card to have in your pocket. And you can go and do other things.
0: Now, one through line in your story, and it sounds like when opportunities arose, you took them. And how do you balance that with the the need to say no? Because I know some faculty, particularly we see faculty of color who are asked to do more because of their perspective. Can they serve on this diversity committee? Can they mentor that student? And that may be an opportunity for them to gain some experience, but at the same time, it goes against what you're saying, their need to get their scholarship done so they can get promoted. And they don't want to be get the reputation of always saying no. So there's this sort of bind between seizing opportunities, but also protecting your time. So is that a, a balance you had to strike?
2: Yes, and and that's very well put. And you're exactly right, because for faculty of color and faculty of other diverse backgrounds, sometimes they are specifically chosen because there aren't as many of them on a campus. And so when you look at committees that need to be formed, initiatives that need to be done, they are oversampled because we want their input, but we don't, we don't have a balance in the faculty ranks for that. And I think that it becomes one in which we all need to be aware of and mentor those people. I've had colleagues in that situation, as well as faculty that reported to me in that situation. And you have to be scanning, I think, not just down the road, but around the corner. So when I say take things as they arise, if it looks interesting to you, I think that you also need to know if you say yes to these four committees, which are perhaps at the departmental level, the college level, but you know that there's something coming up at the university level that'll have greater impact. And you really think that's where your talents would be better used. It's back to the department chairs and the dean to protect that faculty member and say, you know, let's see if we can do something different. You don't want to burn these people out. And uh, I do have some colleagues that I believe were probably overcommitted. I have other colleagues who use that opportunity to rise into some other administrative opportunities that came about. But I think you bring a very good point to the table. We have to not just look at the immediate need, but see what else is on the horizon. And what's the mutual benefit for that faculty member as well as for the institution.
0: Now, does your background as a physical therapist give you any superpowers in navigating that? Or do you draw on some of the clinical skills or client management skills to apply to the higher ed setting?
2: <laughs> oh, Peter, every physical therapist out there is waiting for me to say we have superpowers <laughs> and, 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 and would that we did. One thing I will say about health care providers and Janice, you know, can certainly weigh into this as well. I do think that we look at things with a perspective that is a bit unique in that we are trained in clinical decision making and we tend to, I think, work quickly for the most part. I think we, you know, we're in situations where most decisions have to be made in 30 to 60 seconds. So I do think that there, there were advantages in that. One of the things I did have to learn, however, was to be a more reflective thinker. And one of the joys when I was the uh, chief academic officer is that I got to attend so many events in the College of Liberal Arts, you know, concerts, uh, talking with some of the more reflective disciplines. And we had book clubs and and coffee hours and myelin melters with the biologists um, after hours. But but you learn the different strengths that people bring to the table in that. And so you see how the balance comes together. It's kind of like being the conductor of an orchestra. You be, You get a better appreciation for all the voices and how to bring them together because the point in any academic setting, as we're trying to educate students. So I think it enriched my background personally. There are th- one of my favorite lines that I borrowed from a political scientist is, things have to cook at the temperature they're meant to cook. Some decisions can't be rushed, shouldn't be rushed. Some ingredients are really important, and if you don't have it, it's not going to taste good. And so I think it was useful. I think that when we came together, the university was better for it and the students were better for it.
1: I so agree with you, Anne, and I think this ties into our passion because I know you share this passion of mine in interprofessional education and Peter does too. So I think all of IHP wouldn't be there if you're not that interested in interprofessional education. I know that's our, it's one of the strengths of our programs. And so I agree with you in that, you know, this whole notion of things arising and cooking at the temperature at that time and the you know the ingredients that go into it because as you were talking i was thinking of a particular moment for me which is you know coming from the clinical setting my background's emergency so the same as everything you're saying you have to make quick decisions there isn't time for some of the conversational dance you see in some of, you know, meetings that are not in the clinical environment. And it's like, you know, very, very direct. And it's it's kind of like an unspoken role. And how much of that still exists today? It does still exist today of Uh, emotions last, work first, emotions last, and this whole movement of emotional intelligence and how it drives our actions. It's, it's interesting trying to get, and I think more and more clinicians are seeing the value of it as it's becoming accepted in the business literature and in organizations. You know, I'm thinking of this one particular instance, an event when we were waiting for trauma to arrive and it, it took about 15 minutes for this trauma to Come in, and we ha- and it was fifteen minutes of talking. So the entire team was there awaiting the arrival, and we suddenly started talking about our roles and what we learned in school, and the the patients that came in were near death. They, um, you know, we gave thirty. 30- bags of blood for those traumas. And I thought they wouldn't make it and turned out that they did and and they recovered really well. And so that 15 minutes was key to the patient outcomes. And what were those ingredients and how do you take it forward into our education? How do you teach educators to educate that? Can you? What are your thoughts on
2: that? You're exactly right. You, You know, it If you look at the Ferrari team that changes the tires in Formula One racing, they swarm the car and under two seconds, they've got four new tires on. So the car pulls in, they do their job, the car pulls out, two seconds. That's a well-ordered team, well-coordinated, they've worked together, they know their job, they do their job, it is fabulous. And if you think of some of the work that we're currently examining with teaming, where ad hoc teams are coming together. And that's rising is now more than 40%, is estimated as high to be 70% of most of the healthcare settings, where we come together and we've got to somehow approximate that level of precision in some of the decision-making that we do. But we don't have the opportunity of practice. We don't have the opportunity of knowing each other, of bonding with each other, of unconsciously knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses where we can cross cover. And so those are some of the challenges that we have. And and you hit on a real important point too there, Janice, that 15 minutes there as you're talking and bonding, even at that moment, because there's goodwill and there's a, a level of trust and communication there in which you become close with each other When you get into actually working with that trauma patient, even if you start barking orders at each other and your communication is curt, everybody's okay with it because they say, you know, Janice is really nice. She's stressed. We're stressed. Got to get it done. It's good. It's all fine. If we were to do that without having that level of trust and communication already established, and we can't default to our usual roles like the Ferrari team, our challenge now is to figure out how we make that team work together with the same level of quality and trust, but with a whole underlying set of variables that are totally different. And so there's, you know, there's research. We're doing research within health professions right now on that, and we're educating our students about that and looking at the literature and actually going back and and, uh, I know there were some projects that you and BA White and some others are looking at communication in teams during COVID and the growth in ad hoc teaming. So I think that we're entering a new phase The other part that we really haven't explored yet, I haven't really seen it pop up much in the educational literature, but I think it will, is how do we establish that level of classroom bonding amongst the students and with the faculty member in the online environment when it becomes the primary way that we deliver instruction? How do we form that learning community and how do they learn to trust you? So it gives us new opportunities, and I think we're going to come out in some new ways of doing that, but it's ground that we're breaking as we speak.
0: Can you say how COVID has impacted that learning environment since you were teaching primarily online before, did you have to make any adjustments or is there any conscious reframing in your role as the educator?
2: Oh, definitely. I was also uh, teaching the doctor of physical therapy students back at Georgia Southern last spring. And so we switched one class from in-person to the online environment. We had another that had been online while they were in the clinical setting and were coming back for a face-to-face three-week intensive that suddenly had to go online. And the technology that the school had at the time really did not support the shift of 22,000 students to the online environment smoothly. So, so we faced a lot of the challenges that many universities faced. I think that MGH Institute was very fortunate in that we were already accustomed to the online environment. Speaking to it in terms of making the switch for the primarily classroom-based students, I think you've got some excellent departments there that did that, the pre-professional programs that had to figure out new ways to do that. And they basically, they worked around the clock to make it happen and to make sure that the students saw as little disruption as possible. And they were amazing. For those of us who were teaching in our health professions education program, one of our biggest challenges was the reduced availability of our students, you know, who found their work schedules disrupted, extended. Some of them became ill with COVID themselves. They had the the added burdens of their children are now home or... Their travel was now disrupted. Their research projects were disrupted. They had to make an about face. We had to redesign the projects in, you know, in progress so they could graduate on time. And I think that one of the things that we did as a faculty was provide mutual support for each other and for each other's students. There was a lot of networking that went on both formally during our faculty meetings and informally through other conversations to get these students through to support them so that they could do the necessary work. We, even for a few, extended the semester and finished them up before the summer semester ended. So rather than presenting at the beginning of the semester, they got their work done at the end of the semester. It meant a lot of nights and weekends for all of us, but most of all them, the students were doing, you know, they had to get up and go to the hospital in the morning. They had to figure out uh, so many other things and take care of so many other people. So I think, again, communication trust, support, extend grace, and receive grace, widen that zone of forgiveness, and may I also say some humor, that you, you figure out times to laugh, uh, Janice and BA and I had a Monday morning writing group that was as much a support system as a writing group, in which we kind of worked through all the things that were going on in our work and our home lives, so that we could continue writing. I mean, the fact that we brought that puppy together... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was it was an amazing exercise, but also I think a very good example of teamwork. And also, you know, it required us to be honest and then to sometimes pass the football back and forth and say, I got to do something else. Can you take it? OK, now I'll we'll take it back and things like that. I, I think because we want it to work, we want these things to come out well and uh, we want to model that for our students.
0: In the category of silver linings, are there some changes that you made in this these past six months, do you think will endure beyond the immediate crisis and when we go back to some sort of new normal?
2: I think I've become a better online teacher. I have learned an amazing number of new tricks and software packages and avenues that will, I think, improve my teaching and that we're also sharing with others. It came up at, at a time we had the opportunity for some of our teachers who were in other areas to Help them as we were being helped, and to you know change syllabi around and develop a stronger component of online teaching and how to teach online. I think we did we did both. I think that's been a silver lining because I think that that will endure. It's nice having Janice on faculty because Janice is a driver of change, and this is, and this is a good thing because you've got to have somebody who says. We got it. Look at the things we can do in the online environment. We're just scratching the surface and this is going to make us get into the environment in the future. And she's right. So, yeah, I think those are silver linings.
1: It's just been amazing in general watching. You know, I'm thinking from, you know, in March, getting so many emails of panicking faculty trying to turn their courses online or transition to the online environment from where we are there to where we are today, like such a steep learning curve in general for the world. I I don't, it's been amazing how quickly people became experts at online learning and then have not only become experts, but have contributed to the creativity that other people Built upon, I just think that that's been amazing, and of course, there's there's some artifact from the the speeding that we had to do to get there, that we're you know still kind of working through. Not our team in general. I'm talking about online learning in general. So one good example is uh, people don't realize you know when we all jumped to online learning, we just basically took what we did in person and put it online. Most people did um, talking heads, talking slides. And it created this culture of, oh, I'll sign up for this webinar and think that I can also do email at the same time. Well, now people are realizing, well, we should get a little more interactive and we can. So why don't we do that? Well, people drop off the webinars because they thought they could do their email at the same time. (laughs) And oh, I'll just catch the recording. So we've now fostered this culture of what's looked at as, you know, not the best use of online learning, yet there's value in it. Like I myself have signed up for webinars and have been on emails and I find value in it. So I think just amazing what everyone's been doing and the learning that's gone on. I mean, you could really develop yourself in this time. It's it's all like open access and all over the place and recorded mm-hmm. and it's just been wonderful. And
2: I think you're right. When you you the previous generation of online courses which I know a lot of people you know who are holding licenses will do those for continuing competence and you can tell because they'll sign up for a course that's advertised as offering three contact hours. And some of the certificates that actually list the time that the student spent on it reflect that the student was on for 20, 30 minutes. And so I think we now are developing new standards for online instruction. And no longer is it a correspondence course or a, gee, I'll listen to this while I cook my dinner course. I think you're right. And that's going to be huge. I, I think that it's, I'm looking forward to the internet bandwidth increasing to the point that we can tell everybody turn on your cameras because I think there are still some some people who are missing out on participation shall we say
0: so and we've talked about your illustrious cv and I'm wondering are there things that you would still like to accomplish whether personally professionally but what keeps you motivated what what goals are you working toward now
2: Well, one thing is, um, as I say, the opportunities for research and publishing were opportunities that, that I put on the back burner while I was in my former institution. And now that opportunity has reopened. And so I'm enjoying getting back into scholarly work and looking at some of those opportunities there with my colleagues. So certainly contributing through scholarship is something that I look forward to doing more of. I'm learning an amazing amount from my colleagues as well. I want to take all of their courses, but I want to take them (laughs) pass-fail or just as an (laughs) auditor, because I think the content material that we have uh, integrates so well, and I want to be able to learn more about that so that as we're teaching, we're also Talking to the students that go, oh, yeah, you're going to get that in this class and bring this over to that one and and pick up on this thread. So the opportunity to make a more integrated and innovative curriculum in our programs, I'm looking forward to that as well. And then finally, just enjoying the students that we have that I like not being the administrator and that I can leave the more routine and critical tasks that go with administration I can leave those to others. And so it's kind of a rebirth in some ways. I've been reborn as a faculty member and um, I'm enjoying it.
0: Well, we so enjoyed having you not only in this conversation, but working with you professionally. Yes.
2: Oh, back at, yes. back at both of you. I enjoyed as well.
0: I've been uh, trying to count the number of metaphors you imparted <laughs> <laughs> to oh,
1: us. Oh, oh, so she has a term for this. Her students call it aneurysms. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In a positive sense.
1: Yes. Yeah. The well, only one I mean, that you would ever want to have, yes.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> well, they, I mean, that is how my brain works too, and it, it is a good example of making things concrete, which could be sort of intangible. So I want to, the one that I want to highlight as our sort of summarizing three tips is leadership is like driving a car. I appreciated that one because it has different dimensions. So you used it in the sense of there are SUVs, there are sedans, there are different sizes and comfort levels. And just like you test drive a car, you try out these different roles and find what's suitable for you. But you also used it in the sense of scanning the road, looking what's around the corner, positioning yourself to take advantage of opportunities, some of which may be right in front of you, but some may be a little bit out of sight. So that good scanning technique they teach you in driving school. So I put that as sort of the first takeaway for me. I also want to lift up what you said about becoming fully promoted before going down the administrative path. That uh, was something that I thought about uh, early on uh, and realizing, at least in the academy, rank is a currency and we are in a prestige economy and so having that title behind you that recognition does make it easier for you to be effective in some of these roles where you need to get people's buy-in and uh, I was you know, academia has such low stakes but you know high drama and you don't want to give people you know one more reason to to doubt yeah. you or to um, slot <laughs> you as someone not worth listening to even though your ideas may be great uh, so, that underneath it is the idea of taking care of your own professional development and reaching that mastery. And then, lastly, relevant to our ongoing theme of interprofessional collaboration, you really highlighted for us the importance of ad hoc teams or the, the pit crew metaphor. Oh, another one that, that uh, can can change, the membership fluctuates, and your tasks may be situational. But you have to build up a trust amongst each other to perform effectively, consistently at a high level. And you gave us some tips for doing that, extending grace, widening the zone of forgiveness and humor. You don't often think about those NASCAR pit crews as being full of humor, but I bet that helps de-stress some of those very tense moments. So, I um, thank you for giving us this sort of new landscape of models to consider. Yes, thank as you, we think Anne. About teaching and leading and health professions education.
2: Well, thank you both. It's been a wonderful hour with you, and I, I
1: appreciate the opportunity to, to talk.
2: It's been great.
1: <laughs> Always learning from you, Anne. Thank you. Back at you.
2: <laughs> thank you for listening to our
0: podcast What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your host Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.